Exodus chapter 20. Came in, hopefully you saw one of these bulletins. Hopefully you got one of those bulletins. On the back of that, there'll be some notes that we're going to work through during our time together in the Word. I think maybe the, maybe behind me on the screen, if I've gotten my part figured out with Mark, um, so that stuff may be behind us if you want to walk through us, but we're going to be Exodus chapter 20. I'm going to start off, though, with just giving you some phrases or giving you some lines, and I don't, you can yell, yell it out if you want to, but I just want you to think about the first thing that comes to your mind when I say this phrase. Jewelry is the gift to give because it's the gift that lives and lives. You're welcome. You'll have that jingle stuck in your head the very rest of the day. So any of you that are above the age of, I don't know, 20 or 30, you're going to know that's the B.C. Clark jewelry jingle. Some of you are younger and you're like, I don't know exactly what he's talking about. Luke has no idea what I just got through saying. But some of you, you remember every Christmas time that jingle comes on the radio. And so it comes in your mind, even when the music starts, you know they're going to try to sell me some jewelry. Let me try this one. Just do it. Nike, thank you. So that's the, that's the whole catchphrase for Nike, to buy their apparel, to buy their shoes. It's this phrase, just do it. Okay, let me, let me try another one. And these may get harder as we go along. The best part of waking up. Oh, you guys are so awesome. Okay, so uh, some of you, uh, once again, some of you are looking at me like, I have no idea what he's talking about. Well, that's the catch jingle of Folger's Coffee. And so sometimes when that stuff, when you hear that, that's what pops into your mind. That's why marketing gets paid to do what they do is so that this stuff is seared in your mind. Maybe, let me try this one. America's Drive-In. Ah, good, okay. Well, you guys are better than I expected. Okay, so Sonic. Yeah, that's, that's the catchphrase for Sonic. What about this? Like a good neighbor. You guys are like acing this test. That's amazing. All right, well, this, this is the one. This is the one that will determine what I really think about you or not. Pistols firing. Oh, see, okay, so there's a lot of like-minded people in the room. Okay, so this pistol's firing, that is the terminology. When the Cowboys playing football, when they score a touchdown, usually John Hoke will be on there, and he will, he will be excited, and he will say, pistol's firing, pistol's firing, the idea that they finally scored a touchdown. So, but, you know, these things are said, these thoughts come into your mind, right? There are certain things that you think about, certain things that you relate to. Sometimes it may be a, a memory, sometimes it may be a song, sometimes it may be a person. So here's the last one. Jehovah. Jehovah Jireh. Yahweh. Lord. Adonai. God. What comes to your mind when you think about God? A.W. Tozer, who was a pastor and an author, a theologian from a generations ago, he wrote this, and I put this in the top of the bulletin, or the top of the notes on the bulletin. He said this, he says, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And what Tozer was trying to remind us is that it's not just about this world. It's not just about your daily life. It's not just about your responsibilities or even what we initially come here and do as a church. If we've missed the whole point that we as Christians are serving God, we've missed the idea of what it means to be a Christian. And sometimes it can be so easy in this life that we get so fixated on a methodology. We get so fixated on a personality. We get so fixated on a direction that we have stuck in our 
our heads, we forget that everything is under the umbrella and the sovereignty of God. So what we're going to do this morning, and starting this morning, going for the next weeks to come, we're going to start off on a series out of Exodus chapter 20. Now, traditionally, historically, we've looked at this as being the Ten Commandments. People, you grew up learning in Sunday school about the Ten Commandments, and the Ten Commandments are listed right here. Deuteronomy 5 is another listing of the Ten Commandments. But I want to ask you to join me in these next few weeks to come at it and look at it from a perspective of a foundation. We're gathered here in this room. And before they began to build the walls, before they began to put the lights up, before they began to lay the carpet, they had to lay a foundation. And they knew, especially for us adults, you realize that if the foundation is not built solidly, if the foundation is not secure, if the foundation is not the way it needs to be, the rest of it will be missing. In fact, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus speaks about the importance of building your house on the rock. And it's my conviction, it's my concern, That in many Christian circles today, our foundation is cracked. Our foundation is faulted. Our foundation is built upon popular opinion. Our foundation is built upon our emotions. Our foundation is built upon the latest whim, the latest speaker, the latest book. Our foundation is built upon our experiences or our foundation is built upon other people's opinion instead of our foundation being built upon God and the Word of God. So what I want to lead us to do in these next few weeks is to come back and examine the foundation. Now everything is built off of the foundation. They laid the foundation first and then comes the walls and then comes the sheetrock and then comes the paint. So a lot of times when we gather here we don't understand that what we are really sitting on or me standing on today is really the foundation that was laid. So we're going to ask the questions as we go throughout this week about what is the foundation of your faith? What is the foundation of your life? What is the foundation of your service and your commitment and your obedience to God? What does your foundation, spiritual foundation, look like? So I submit to you this morning that as God is coming in and he is giving these Ten Commandments to Moses as they are gathered there at the base of Mount Sinai. Moses has gone up on the mountain and God is giving Moses these Ten Commandments to give to the people. He is giving Moses some foundational truths, some foundational principles, some foundational understandings of this is what it means to serve God, to love God, to follow God, and to be obedient to God. And some of these are still foundational. No, I shouldn't say some of these. All of these are still foundational today. So today we're going to look at the foundation of God. Now it's just these first three verses out of Exodus chapter 20. And it's just these verses kind of give us this first picture of this first foundation that God begins with. So if you have a copy of God's word, start reading with me as I read aloud there in in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 1. And you can just follow along as I read aloud to you. It says, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then you get to verse 3, and he says, You shall have no other gods before me. Some of your translations might say, besides me. But it's this idea that God comes in and says, You shall have no other gods before me. So there's true truths, there's two foundational principles that I want you to see with me this morning out of this text. And the first one is this. There is one God. 
Now, some of you are going to look and say, well, that's kind of simple, Spence. That's kind of, a, that, that's kind of a, 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 a forgiven, or that's kind of a given, Spence. When you think about where God is at, he's looking at these people, these Israelite people, and they knew that there was a God. They had saw that God bring the ten plagues when they were in bondage in Egypt. This God had part of the Red Sea, and they had walked through the Red Sea. This God had closed the Red Sea back up. They had saw that closing. They get to the the base of Mount Sinai, and you go back to chapter 19 in Exodus, and they talk about the thunder and the lightning and the cloud. They saw the presence of God. They saw the, 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 uh, the, the uh, glory of God, if you will, in a, some limited fashion, and so they knew there was a God. But God thought it was important enough to say, I want to remind you there is still only one God. There are sometimes, brothers and sisters, that you and I, we may not say with our mouths that God is not just one God, but we act like it with our daily lives. Because I get up and I don't spend time in the Bible because I'm too busy trying to spend time on social media. Well, who's my God? I get up in the morning and I'm getting waking up late and so I don't spend time in my Bible because I'm spending time putting on uh, deodorant and brushing my teeth and I don't have any time for God. Well, who is my God? Or I find myself coming to the end of the month and having nothing left to give God, whether financially or time-wise, because I've spent it all for the world, who is my God? And God thinks it's important enough that he comes back to the people here in Exodus chapter 20, and he says, I want you to understand the biggest foundational truth that you need to grasp in your world today and in our lives at this moment is that there is one God. Not two gods, not three gods, not four gods, not a hundred gods. There is one God. God. And who is that God? Well, you think back to Genesis 1 and 1. How does the Bible begin? Let's listen to the first four words the Bible records. In the beginning, God. In the first four words of the Bible, they set the stage. Some people believe that Moses wrote Genesis, but they'll say that he set the stage. He understood that in the beginning, the beginning of what, Spence? The beginning of creation. The beginning of our time as we know it. The beginning of everything that we know in the beginning, who? God. We mean God was there in the beginning? Yes. You mean God was formed in the beginning? No. You mean God was before the beginning? Yes. Well, how is that? Well, that's because of the aseity of God. That's a blank there. If you may not understand how to write it, it may be a word that you may not be familiar with. It's A-S-I or E-I-T-Y. It's the aseity of God. And the doctrine of the aseity of God teaches us, I've got the definition right there for you in the notes, is that it's the existence originating from and having no source other than itself. And you might be here, you might think, well, what does that mean? That means that God is not dependent upon you. God doesn't need you. God wasn't formed by you. God doesn't have to listen to you. God is because he is God. Now why is that so foundational, Spence? Because there are so many times in my life that I don't put God in his proper place and I lack the awe of God. And what God wants to teach the church, what God wants to teach these people that are gathered there, is they, the greatest thing they can do for their personal lives, for the lives of the loved ones, the greatest thing that we here in Wilson can do for this community is to get our view of God right. 
So many times we lose that awe of God. We lose that fear of God. We lose that reverence for God. We lose that, that, that wonder in God. And the next thing you know, we get dull. We get calloused. We get distracted. We get, find ourselves going and off in different directions. And if we can do anything for this community, is we need to recapture that awe of God. What happened in the revivals that come historically, whether the Great Awakenings, the Haystack revivals, some of those, what happened is people got a greater glimpse of God. Their view of God rose to higher levels and because of that it motivated everything else in their lives. Sometimes we need to remind ourselves there is only one God. God thought it was important enough for him to remind the Israelite people as they were sitting there at the base of the mountain. He wanted to remind them there is only one God. The aseity of God speaks to the omnipotence of God, the omniscience of God, the omnipresence of God. The the omnipotence is just a fancy word saying that he's all powerful. There's nothing that he lacks the power to do. The omniscience talks about all knowing. He has all wisdom. He has all knowledge. The omnipresence means that God is everywhere at every given time. Which means that God is not created or devised. The Jehovah's Witness will try to tell you that God created Jesus. But if you go back to your Bible, you'll understand that God has always been, always will be, and he presents himself in a triune form. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Jesus was not created by God. Jesus is God in the flesh. He, he's that second part of the Trinity. God was not created. He was not devised. It wasn't like we are Muhammad. If you'll go back to the teachings of Islam, Muhammad is sitting there and he has this vision. He has this understanding. He starts writing this stuff down and then he comes to you and says, oh, look, I've created a new religion. Let's do it this way. The same thing, that's, that's how the Mormons came from. That's how the Seventh-day Adventists came from. There was somebody back in their lineage that came up with some new revelation, some new understanding, some new idea, wrote it down and said, this is the path that we should follow. But God comes in and says, no, 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 no. You need to understand it's not based upon what somebody says. It's based upon who I am. So he comes right there in verse 2. Notice back in the text. I am the Lord your God. He's using language there to remind the reader, to remind the Christian, to remind the church, to remind the Israelites who God is. He is your Lord and your God, which means he is your God whether you accept him or not. There are some people today that they'll use language like, well, will you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? I'm going to tell you something right now. He already is your Lord and Savior. You may not have accepted him. You may not have yielded to him. You may not be following him. But the idea that Jesus is Lord and you're the one that determines whether he is Lord or not is wrong. Jesus is Lord whether you like it or not. God is Lord whether you like it or not. You go back to Romans chapter 14 and verse 10 to 12. It reminds us, every knee shall bow before God. Every knee will bow before God. So it doesn't matter whether you're atheist, whether you're agnostic, whether you're backslidden, whether you're a knucklehead, whether you're stubborn, whether you're hard-hearted. It doesn't matter. Every person is going to bow before God because God is the Lord over what God is God over. So what is God God over, Spence? God is God over everything. That's why the Bible opens up with the four words, in the beginning God. He's reminding us that everything that comes after Genesis 1-1 is under God. I can see some of your faces here this morning. You're saying, well, Spence, okay, so we got that. What is such the big deal? Because there's too many times, church, we have too many gods in our lives. So look, Better pull your toes back. Better get your toes back underneath the seat. Let me, let me just go to meddle a little bit. I mean, let's just talk about it. Money. 
Some people today have money as their God. Their money determines everything. And so whether they got money or they don't have money, that is their God. And so he says right there in verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. So he's using that uh, phrase, that terminology right there, gods, not in the sense of comparing them to him. Rather, he uses, in most of your translations, will have gods in the little g. So he is saying there are gods in your life that you have put there that are, uh, that are rivals against me because you are so worried about this world and you're not worried about me. Some individuals this morning woke up and they had a decision to make. Am I going to go to church or not? So they sat there and they kind of hem-hawed around and said, well, you know, if I could find an ache or a pain somewhere, I could, I could lay up. You know, if I could go to work this morning, I, I, I could skip it. Well, you know, if I had something going on, I could not, just not be there. Sometimes people wake up in the mornings looking for an excuse not to come to church. I know that's not you. You're here. I know I'm speaking to the choir. But sometimes people do that. And I'm going to tell you the greatest danger right there is because when they got up, they weren't in awe of God. They were in awe of themselves. And church, we've got to be careful that we make sure that God stays where God is. Whether it's money, whether it's family, whether it's relationships, whether it's ourselves, whether it's a hobby, or whether it's a job, or whether, we, whether whatever it is in our lives, sometimes we think that we, we think and we act, even though we may not say it, we think and we act like there is more than one God. And I'm here to tell you this morning that God doesn't give us an option of having more than one God. He just simply says there is one God. God. That's all there is. There's only one God. So that means that everything under our lives, we don't have to have, well, that's not who God is to me, or that's not what God is to me, or God has given me permission in that, or God has given me permission in this, or, or whatever it may be. No, there is only one God. So when it comes to the priorities of your life, there's only one God. And when it comes to the substance of your life, you're only going to answer to one God. And when it comes to the end of your life, you will stand before this one God. And you will give an answer for this one life this one God gave you. Because God says, there should be no other gods before me. That should be a foundational truth that I think that should gird everything that we do as a church together. It can be easy for us to get uh, distracted with methodologies or new programs or new ideas. We think we can come in and we can entertain the masses. But if we do not grasp this foundational truth that we are here because there is one God that created us for one purpose to serve and glorify Him. And if we get that out of whack, then we have put cracks in the foundation that will not help us grow in the future. But there's a second truth that I want you to see. Not just that there is one God, but that He has revealed Himself. Notice, go back there to verse 3. He says, you shall have no other gods before me. So God is looking at His people. He's looking at the church. And He says, don't have any other gods besides or before me. Now, in order for Him to be able to lay that expectation, to be able to lay that commandment before Him, they would have to know who this one God is is. Can you imagine the idea of having gods that you're going to answer to one day, but you have no idea what gods they are? That's the Hindus, the Buddhists. There's so many gods that they don't understand exactly what god they're going to answer to, and so they live their lives in this constant fear and this constant worry that they may have to answer to a god that is unknown to them and that they don't know what's going to require of them. And so they live trying to please this god and this god and this god and this god and this god, and, this god and, this god and on and on and on because they have no idea who they're serving. 
And yet, the God of the Bible comes in and says, there's one God and I'm going to show you who this God is. It's me. I am going to reveal myself to you. You don't have to turn back there, but just think about how God revealed himself to Abram back in Genesis 12 and verse 1. He comes to Abram and he says, Abram, I want you to pick up yourself, your family, and all that you have, and I want you to move to a land that I will show you. He revealed himself to Abram. He said, Abram, I am the God, and I have a plan for you. Think about Exodus chapter 12, or 6, verses, Exodus 6, chapter 6, through chapter 12. God comes in and reveals himself to the Israelites' people. He sends Moses back to Egypt, and he says, Moses, go get my people out of bondage. Moses shows up and says, I have a message from God. God said, he's going to deliver you all from the, the Egyptian bondage. And the people are sitting there going, yeah, right, how's he going to do this? And next thing you know, nine, then ten plagues later, comes in. Pharaoh sends the people out, and they're like, okay, maybe this God does have something going on here. Maybe, maybe this God does have some type of control. They get down to the Red Sea, and they got their backs against the water. Here comes Pharaoh and his army, and the people are going, oh, oh. They sound like a Jerry Clower a cartoon skit. And they're, they're just all upset because they don't know what's going to happen next. And God says, well, watch this. Moses, spread the water. All of these things happen to God to reveal himself to the Israelites. Let me read for you out of Romans chapter 1 where God reveals himself to creation. It says in Romans chapter 1, <clears throat> excuse me, verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his internal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. We're reminded there that God has revealed himself to his creation. He revealed himself to Abram. He revealed himself to the Israelites. He revealed himself to his creation. And at the same time, God has also revealed himself through his word. See, there'll be some people today that they'll go, well, Spence, you know what? If I knew what God wanted me to do, then I would do it. And I'm here to tell you this morning, God has already told you what he wants you to do in a way that you can understand it. In a way that you can see what he is telling you to do. You think about what it says in 2 Timothy in chapter 3 and verse 16. It says, all scripture is breathed out by God. What does that mean, preacher? That means that this Bible is God's revelation to you. Which means that God has told you right here in the pages of Holy Scripture what he wants you to do. He has told you how to live. He has told you how to prioritize your life. He has given you answers. He has given you hope. He has given you direction. He has given you a direct communication to say, this is what you are to do with your life, and this is what I will require and judge you for when your life is over. It's right here. It's right here. God has revealed himself to us. There are too many people running around this world today that think that they're the ones that determine right and wrong. They think they're the ones that determine whether this is okay or that is not okay. And we live in this relative time where everybody thinks they get to determine what is godly and what is ungodly. You think about all of these choices we have out there today. Coca-Cola, Pepsi, Sprite, root beer, Everybody wants to have their own choice. Everybody wants to have their own decision. You come to vehicles and you have Fords and you have Chevrolets and you have Dodges and Nissans and Toyotas. And if you don't like this one, you just go to the other one. 
Restaurants. Oh, you can get down there in some of those places in the, the big cities like Mo was talking about in Sunday school. I mean, they're just restaurant after restaurant after restaurant. And he's like, I don't like this restaurant. I go to a different restaurant. We're so inundated in this world today with choices. It's about what makes me happy. It's about what pleases me. And if I don't like that, I just go to the next one. And choices and choices and choices. And yet God comes in and says, no, no, no. You need to understand something. It's not about church hopping. It's not about religion hopping. It's not about denominational hopping. It's not about people hopping. It's about one God and revealing himself to you and saying, I've got one plan and one purpose for your life. Are you doing it? We have people today in church life, in Christianity, in the kingdom of God, that they go one place, they get upset, and they go to the next place. And they go bouncing back and forth and back and forth. And they're saying, well, I just don't know what God wants from my life. I'm telling you, God has revealed himself to you. We have too many young people today that are growing up. They're like, well, what do you do when you grow up? How about serve God? Maybe instead of asking these young people the question about what they want to do with their life professionally, maybe we should be asking them the question of what they're going to do for God spiritually. Maybe we should be asking them, hey, what are you going to do for the kingdom of God? I don't care what you do for a job. What are you going to do for God spiritually? See, so many times we're asking the questions that aren't pointing people to the kingdom of God. We're so stuck thinking that, well, why should we ask those kind of questions? Those questions get awkward. Can you imagine the questions that God's going to have for us? I don't think God cares about awkwardness as much as he cares about holiness. But the problem's going to come is that people are going to say, well, Spence, I try to read this Bible, but I really don't know much about the Bible. I really don't understand everything I'm reading in the Bible, and I, I agree with you. And I would remind you this morning that while we cannot know God exhaustively, we can know God truly. So that what that means is, is that you may not understand every word, every verse, every chapter in the Bible. So you may not know everything about God. And I don't think we're ever going to know everything about God because God is God. But what we do know about God, we can know truly. So in this day and age, when there's all of this false teaching, when there's all of this heresy, when there's all of this misinformation, where there's all of this people competing to say, well, this is what God is to me, and that's what God is to you, and where we're going to find some common ground, and so we're just going to make something up and say, well, this must be what God is, and it's a compromise between the two sides. No, there is only one God. God has revealed himself to us, and it's not up for us to define God. God did not leave that for our definition. God has said, this is who I am. And I've revealed myself to you. And it's not my responsibility to come and meet with you. It's your responsibility to come to me. And church, very often, we get this attitude that God has to please us. That God, I will follow you if you will make it easier. God, I will follow you if you will make it more comfortable. God, I will follow you if you will give me a lit path. God, I will follow you if you won't put any oppositions in front of me. God, I will follow you if you do this and do this and we do this. And I think we missed the point that God has said, this is the path that you are to follow and you will expect opposition. You will expect strife. You will expect trouble. You will expect persecution. But take heart, I have overcome the world. We're in this day and age right now with this coronavirus. And right now out in California, there are brothers and sisters in Christ, Bible-believing, faithful, gospel-teaching churches that are practicing civil disobedience today. 
Now I realize maybe 10 years ago we would have thought about that being in China or some other third world country, the persecution that comes onto the church. But I want to tell you that right now out in California, Dr. John MacArthur is meeting with his church and they are practicing social disobedience to the point where Governor Newsom could step in and prosecute him, persecute them for meeting because of this, the protocols they had put in place. And they said no because we want to worship God more than we want to worship the emperor. That is happening today. Now I realize that we're living here, Governor Stitt, and Governor Stitt has a a tremendous amount of spiritual uh, foundation, spiritual background. His father was a pastor, and so some of those things we may say, well Spence, that's not going to happen here. We said the same thing about gay marriage. We said the same thing about recreational drugs. We said the same thing about immorality. We did, said the same thing about evolution being taught in our schools. We said the same thing about no-fault divorce. We said the same thing about all of these different social uh, advantages or social advances that have come into our churches and to our communities. We said, well, that's happening out there, but it won't happen here. Brothers and sisters, what makes you so sure that the time is not coming that we will have to answer the question, who is God? Because God is God. God is only one God, and God has revealed himself to us. So the question comes is, what kind of foundation do we have? Because when the time comes, what's going to matter and how we weather the storm is how our foundation is built. So let me bring you maybe to a little point of application, if you will. Let's just examine the foundation for a moment. I put some questions here that really uh, I'm not expecting you to answer or to uh, work through right now in this time, but things I want you to take home. Things maybe you can speak about with your spouse over, or, over, over lunch this afternoon. Maybe you can just talk, think about these things in your quiet time. Things that I want you to be thinking about because these things, I believe, are instrumental in how we are going to move forward as a church. So question number one is, what place are you giving God in your life? I realize that you're going to say, well, God's first. You know, Spence, I'm, I'm at church. Just because you're at church doesn't mean that God's first. How do I know that? Because I've been there before. I tell people, <laughs> now that I'm transitioning to a whole new work field as far as during the week and a whole new set of faces, a whole new set of ears, I'm telling people, I haven't always been the person I'm trying to be today. I'm not proud of that. I'm not bragging about that. I'm just, that's just the way it is. That, that, that's the truth of the matter. But the reality is, is that as God has been graceful and God has been merciful in my life, so, I'm so grateful that I'm not where I was then. But I can remember and I can think back to a time that I came in, as hey, Heather and I were talking about this mask. I came in with this mask on. It wasn't the cloth mask, the mask from the sickness. It was the mask before the church people. I came in with this mask on, looking one thing to everybody in the church, but secretly, Monday through Saturday, I was something completely different. I've been there. And I'm looking at some of your faces and I'm worried that you're there right now. Because you had this idea that you're going to come in and you're going to give God an hour, an hour and a half on a Sunday morning and boy, I'm good. God, that's all you can expect of me. God, that's all you should want me. God, I get to do whatever else for the rest of my life. And God's not in his proper place in your life. So what place are you giving God in your life? Second question. What is God competing with in your life? God comes in there and Genesis, I'm sorry, Exodus 20 and verse 3, and he says, you shall have no other gods before me. What he is looking at them and he's saying, this isn't a competition. (laughs) This is not a competition when it comes to God. God is not in competition with no other 
God. It's not like there's five gods and they're all trying to vie on who can get the most popular vote. This is not an election. This is not democracy. There is a God and God says, I am not in the competition business. I, I am the Lord, and besides me, there is no Savior, is what it says in the psalm. It's this idea that God says, I am not in competition. You might put me in competition, but at the end of the day, there is no competition around. And we need to ask ourselves a question. What is God competing with in your life? Now, do I mean to say that God is in some competition? No, I'm saying, what in the world are you, compete, are you putting in your life that is competing with God? Sometimes we find ourselves putting competitors in our lives of our own making. Sometimes it could be kids. Jaylee and I got married and thought, boy, it'd be great to have kids. Oh, that'd be so great. And then you get kids and you're like, what happened to my wife? I don't get to see my wife. I don't get to spend time with my wife. I don't get to talk with my wife. I mean, it's like the, old, the, the entire day is work and, and children. And it's like that, that, that sweet moment like Evan and Chelsea are having right now where they just get to spend all that time together and it's just a, a sweet time and the kids come along and it's like, I live with her, but I don't know her that much. But it's that competition for time. Now, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm saying that we do that in other things. We get a new job. We get a new responsibility. We get a new possession. We get a new toy. We get a new hobby. We get a new friendship. And they see, you know, we have these competitions that are going back and forth. And before you know it, we have all these competitions going on in our lives. And, and we're, we're feeling strained. We're feeling pushed between one direction and another. And sometimes it can happen with our spiritual lives. We can put things in our lives that are competing for our devotion and our attention given to God. So what is competing with, what is God competing with in your life? And then this final one. What comes into your mind when you think about God? What comes into your mind when you think about God? I was talking to a man this week. He was sharing with me a story about his brother passing away several years ago. Close to his younger brother. The brother's 18 years old and he had a car wreck. And he gets out of the car. He's on the phone with his mother and he gets out of the car and he's hit by a passing vehicle. And he dies. I can see this man's face when he told me, Spence, I went through a season where I was mad at God. I didn't say, well, that's wrong. <laughs> I didn't say, well, you can't feel like that. I, I, I didn't say well, that, how shameful that is because I understand how emotions, how emotions are such a powerful force in our lives. And I understood that this man was going through seasons and he was going through stages of life that one minute God was this and next minute God was that. And it wasn't because God had changed. It was because our life was constantly changing. Our experiences were constantly changing. Our emotions were constantly changing. We were constantly changing. It's not because God has ever changed. It's because we are continually changing. And so what comes into your mind today when you think about God may not be what came into your mind yesterday when you thought about God. It may not be what comes into your mind in a week from now when you think about God. But what is important today, according to Tozer, is what comes into your mind when you think about God. Do you think about the powerfulness, the omnipotence of God? Do you think about the omniscience of God? Do you think about the omnipresence of God? Do you think about the love of God that loved you so much that he sent his son to die for you? Do you think about the grace of God? Do you think about the forgiveness of God? Do you think about the mercy of God? Do you think about the plan that God has for your life? Oftentimes, we get so stuck in this cycle of life 
that we're not thinking about God because we're thinking about everything else. So, come back to where we started. Asking ourselves about the foundations that our spiritual life is built on today. Is there only one God in your life? And are you following God's revelation for you? You bow your heads with me.